message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. You guys ready? Ready to get in the Word a little bit? Uh, no self-respecting preacher in their right mind preaches an Easter sermon out of Second Kings chapter 6. So grab your Bible and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to be in chapter 6 and chapter 7. It's not going to be on your screen. There's Bibles around in the seats if you didn't bring your own. Or you could just listen because really it's a story. And I'm going to, I'm going to unpack the story a little bit for you. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the details of the story or the background on the story. I'm going to try as best as I can to just give you enough so that we can get by the end where I hope to land. Because it's Easter, right? And with Easter comes hope and new life and resurrection. And hopefully by the end you'll understand why we were in 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7. Really an odd passage for this holiday. I love the Old Testament though. I love digging back into the Old Testament because what we find in the Old Testament after, after getting a glimpse of the New Testament, we find reinforces in the Old Testament what we've learned in the New Testament. Amen? Have you figured that out? That there's nothing new in the New Testament. That sounds a little weird, right? But did you know that God's been telling the same story from the very beginning? Everything about grace and everything about the gospel that you find in the New Testament, you find hidden, as it were, you find glimpses in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is chock full of the New Testament, whether you realized it or not. I love digging back into the Old Testament and finding places that talk about New Testament ideas. And maybe at first glance you don't really recognize it, but now if you put on your New Testament lenses, you can start to see as you read back through some gospel, some grace, some hope all along the way. And so this morning that's what we're looking for. What's great about the Bible is that we usually find someone who looks a lot like us, don't we? They're not the dressed up Easter us, but the, but, the, but the broke down and the disheartened us. The us beyond our Easter giddy up. So this morning with, um, with Easter eyes, let's keep an eye out for glimpses of the gospel. Glimpses of the gospel in 2 Kings 6 and 7. And samples of ourselves. I think if you look hard, you're going to find yourself probably in these two chapters. 2 Kings chapter 6 begins like this. Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria and behold, they besieged it. Bad guys, good guys. Israel and not Israel. The, the Arameans were coming in and they found that in Samaria, Israel was locked down. In that day, what you would do was you would, you would build a fort, you would build a town, and you would put a wall around it. And if you wouldn't go out to fight, what your enemy would do was they would surround you and they would cut you off from any resources that you needed outside of those walls. And so eventually you would run out of stuff. And that's exactly what happened to Samaria and the king of Israel that we're going to find out in the nation in Samaria. They got locked down and they got cut off from all their resources. 
Now, the king at this time is a guy named Jehoram. His daddy was a bad dude. His dad was a guy named Ahab. Ahab has a reputation for probably being the worst king in Israel's history. He did gross evil in the sight of the Lord. That's his dad. Not a good lineage. Anybody know who his mom was? Anybody remember who Ahab married? Jezebel. Ahab married Jezebel and with it wedded the nation of Israel to a new national religion. Paganism. I.e., not the one true God. Things were going downhill and going downhill fast. This is the kingdom that Jehoram acquires from his father and from his brother who had a short stint before him. It was not a good time for the nation of Israel. And God was judging the nation of Israel, but he kept sending prophets to warn the kings. But they would ignore the prophets. We're going to see a prophet in this story. We're going to see a king in this story. A king not too unlike his father, unfortunately. A king who would not do well. His life would end poorly. He would not be among those who would be reported to be good kings of the nation of Israel. And they find themselves being besieged. They're cut off. No resources. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. They are now starving to death. And this is... By the prophet's estimation, a judgment of God. But the prophet keeps bringing news to the king that says, Listen, if you're faithful, if you repent, God will be for you. And he brings warnings to this king. Six, seven times now he gives a warning to this king. And with every warning he brings a blessing to help convince the king to do the right thing. Repent. Turn to God. Don't follow the way of your father. Follow the way of of the nation of Israel is one true God, the faithful one of Israel. So you're going to see a king. You're going to see the prophet that comes to him. Uh, you're going to see a crazy lady. You're going to see some lepers. You're going to see the king's aid. And I want you to look at these characters as we go through, right? And I want you to look for yourself. And you've got to be honest when you take an evaluation like this, right? You hang on as we look at this story. By the end, we're going to find some Easter hope. Glimpses of glory. Samples of maybe ourselves this morning. Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria. They were starving now. And behold, they besieged it. They, they cut it off from everything else. Now look at the famine that is now in the land, verse 25, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's a lot, by the way. And a fourth of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, uh, I'm, not a great, I'm not a great scholar. I tried to look up what some of the meaning behind this is, but here it is. It's pretty easy. Nobody eats a donkey's head, all right? This is the last resort. And they're paying good money for a donkey's head. I don't know what you can get out of a donkey's head that you can eat, but they're so desperate because they've been besieged and cut off that this is what it's boiled down to. Not only that, not only donkey's heads, but now they're eating doves' dung. You know what dung is, Jackson? Yeah, what is it? Poop. Say it. It's poop. And they're paying for it. 
I did read one commentary that said it would come out maybe in little pellets and then they, they would boil it like beans and stuff. That's way too much information for you. Think about that as you go to your Easter lunch. Donkey's heads, doves, dung, being sold at top dollar. That's where we are. It's a bad day. The king of Israel was passing by on the wall. And a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? That's kind of a good answer, but he's being sarcastic here. He's being arrogant. Once again, part of his M.O. From the threshing floor, shall I help you? Or from the wine press? I've got no bread or wine to give you. And the king said to her, What's the matter with you anyway? What's the matter with you? Look at her response. This woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today. It's getting sober, isn't it? And we will eat my son tomorrow. That's how desperate it is. So we've gone from donkey's heads and dove's dung now to cannibalism. This is is a bad day in the nation of Israel. They're starving, cut off. No resources. God has removed his hand. They're they're turning to be barbarians. And not only that, cannibalism has started. By the way, the Old Testament prior to this, God would would foresee this. He would warn them that if they, they did not act in obedience, this would come. And it's coming. It's happening. Verse 29, an amazing verse. This tells you a little bit about this king, doesn't it? No debate, no real discussion. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give me your son that we may eat him. But she hid her son. When the king heard these words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had beneath his clothes sackcloth on his body. Remember Joel last week? Rend your hearts, not your garments. And this king decides he's fine to rend his garments. He's mad. He gave up his son. She didn't, she didn't pony up hers. What you need to know is that this king was waiting on God to come through. This king was playing, let's make a deal with God. And the prophet had told him that God was going to come through. But he had God on a timeline, his own timeline. And he was tired of waiting. And things were falling apart around him. And sin had found them out. But when it says that he had sackcloth under his clothes and nobody noticed until he tore his garments, it means that he was, he was hiding his repentance. Sackcloth is something you would put on publicly as an act of repentance. It's like a burlap bag. It's uncomfortable and it's, it's nothing glorious. And this king, he decided to put his on beneath it. And he exposed himself that he was privately repenting. But nobody knew until he he threw a temper tantrum and tore his blouse because she wouldn't give up her son. And he's just getting more and more mad. That's, That's the king we're dealing with here. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. 
exposed his sackcloth. 31, then he said, May God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, that's the prophet, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Find this prophet who told me that God was going to come through for us. He hasn't come through. He hasn't come through. Find him. I want his head. If we don't get his head, take mine. That's how bad this day is. Now Elijah was sitting in his house. and He was with the elders. And the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Elisha did, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. It's not the sound of the, it's not the, sound of the master's feet behind him. He knows what's coming. God has tipped him off. But while he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. God gets blamed for the sin of the nation. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? That's the message that comes from the king. Then Elijah said, chapter 7, verse 1, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a measure of the fine flour will be sold for a shekel. That's a lot. And two, me- I mean, that's a little. And two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So that's a complete, that's a complete flip-flop. Now there's going to be an abundance, he says. Just wait until tomorrow. That's what the prophet tells him. Listen to what the royal officer, here comes, here comes another character. The the king's aide, verse 2, the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? He says, Heck, you say, God can't do that by tomorrow. Do you see what's going on here? We're besieged. We're cut off. God has removed his hand. He's not coming back. Behold, you will see it with your own eyes. Elijah says, but you will not eat of it. Hmm. Verse 3, four lepers. Look at them. There were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? Lepers in the nation of Israel couldn't be in the city. They got kicked out. They got put outside the gate. And hopefully when people would come or go, they they would supply them with their needs. But remember now, they've been besieged, so nobody's coming or going. So these guys are on the outside starving. But you know what? Everybody on the inside is starving as well. And so they're really in a spot, aren't they? You see, they were ceremonial unclean. They were, they were cast out of, the, out of the nation, essentially. And so they were cut off from being even cut off. They were worse off than the rest of the nation starving inside the gates. Here's what they said to themselves, verse 4. We will enter the city. Then the famine is in the city. And we'll die there. But if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. The Arameans were the bad guys. That's their enemy. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, we die. Do you see their dilemma here? They're between a rock and a hard place. If we, we can't go inside, they won't let us. But even if they did let us go inside, they're starving in there. So that's no good. If we sit here... We're rotting. We're dying. Our only choice is to maybe go to the Arameans and see if they'll have mercy on us. I mean, they don't have such a strict, uh, you know, stance on leprosy and stuff. So may, maybe they'll be gracious to us. If we, if we just throw ourselves at their mercy, maybe, they'll, maybe they've got some scraps. Maybe they got some leftover chili or something from the night before that they'll share with us. Maybe, maybe we won't die. I mean, that's our only, that's our only chance. 
And so they come to the realization that they're going to die. If they go in, they're going to die. If they stay, they're going to die. Their only chance is to step out on faith and go outside the gates, go outside the city, go outside of the famine. And so they step out by faith. Look what happens. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. And what I want you to see here is now all of our characters. You've gotten where they, where they are in the setup here. Now watch, watch what happens to each one of them. We're going to go in reverse order. We're going to start back with the lepers now. So they step out on faith. They go at twilight to the camp of the Arameans. They try and sneak up. When they came to the outskirts of the camp, just, just, to, the, just to the rim of where the bad guys were, they realize there's nobody there. Verse 6. This is what they realized. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses. God's army. Even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, this is the bad guys, Behold, the king of Israel must have hired against us the kings of the Hittites, the Egyptians, to come upon us. He's got some other folks. Somehow or another, they're ganging up on us. Because what we hear coming through the trees is no, is no regular Israeli army. This, this is a massive force coming against us. And what the lepers found out somehow or another that it was God moving in the wind, God moving in the trees before them. So as they step out on faith, guess what? They find that God has gone before them. And the bad guys are nowhere to be found. Look what happens. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and they left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, more donkeys, even the camp just as it was. And they fled for their lives. The Arameans heard this noise, and it must have been so disturbing that they dropped everything and they ran. They didn't take anything with them. Later on in the passage, it'll say that as Israel goes after them, they find stuff just laying on their, on their departure. I mean, these guys went mad and started tossing off anything they could so that they could book it out of there. This is what the lepers find. When the lepers, verse 8, came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and they ate and they drank. Dinner was ready. Somebody had put a lasagna on and it was done. And so they just said, listen, sweet. Nobody's here. It's like Shoney's. And they just sit down to the buffet. They ate and drank. And had their fill. But that wasn't it. When the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent, ate and drank, and carried from there silver and gold and clothes, and went and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent, and another tent, and carried from there also. And they went and hid them. It's like Goonies just hit One-Eyed Willie's jackpot. And they've got gold and they've got silver and they're pulling up to the buffet and they go from sitting at the gates with no hope to finding that God has driven out the enemy and now they, they, have, been, they have been ushered in freely to the banquet hall. And there's gold and there's silver. Are you, are you getting a picture here? Have you seen yourself yet? I hope so. Look at what they do, verse 9. They said to one another, we're not doing right. Think about that. They make it to the third tent. They've filled themselves up now with whatever was in that tent. They've stockpiled gold, silver. They've made a couple trips out to the woods, hid some stuff, come back in, and there's just more. 
man, I mean, I'm full. How about you, Harry? Yeah, all right. What are we going to do? And as if to say they came to their senses, they look at each other and they say, hey, this, this isn't right. Why isn't it right? The four lepers realize that they've, they've filled themselves up. They've got all they need. Look at what they say. We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Have you seen the gospel yet, by the way? Have you seen hints of grace yet, by the way? But we are keeping silent. We're keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. You know what they realized, these four lepers? They realized that God had gone before them. They realized that they were blessed. They realized that they had eaten their full. They realized that they had more than they could carry out themselves. They'd made several trips, and they finally come to their senses, and they say, guess what? I mean, there's more than enough here. And you know what? Our countrymen are starving. There's a famine inside the walls. It's not right for us just to keep, keep this to ourselves. It's not right for us not to share this. What were the words? Good news. So they do. They came and called to the gatekeepers in the city and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Harameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of a man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents just as they were. The gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household. Remember our king? Listen to his response. You could probably guess it. Then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we're hungry. And they have gone out from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, then we'll get them. This guy's paranoid, isn't he? God has removed the enemy. He's gone into the strong man's house and he's plundered it and he's bound the strong man, so to speak. You tracking with me? And the king still doesn't see it. One of the servants has to speak up and say, verse 13, please let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they will be of any case like all the multitude of Israel who are left in it. Behold, they will be in any case like all the multitude of Israel who have already perished. So let us, let us send them and see. I mean, what's the difference? We got no food in here. Come on and see. What we're doing is not right. This is good news. Let's go and tell. They go and tell. Hey, come on and see. 14. They took therefore two chariots with horses, and the king sent after the army of the Arameans, saying, Go and see. They went after them to the Jordan, and behold, all of the way was full of clothes and equipment which the Arameans had thrown off in their haste. Then the messengers returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, just like Elisha said, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now, the king appointed the royal officer. Remember this guy? <laughs> the guy who said, if God could open the floodgates of heaven, the windows of heaven, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You remember what Elijah told him? It's going to happen, but you ain't getting any of it. Look what happens. Now, the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled on him at the gate. He got run over. These people are hungry. And he died just as the man of God said. Judgment fell. Who spoke when the king came down to him. It happened just as the man of God had spoken. Two measures of barley. Just like he said. 
just like he told him. So that's the story. Where, where might you see yourself? Who, who might you identify with? Maybe, maybe you can identify with one of the characters. Maybe you can identify with one of the characters previously in your life. Maybe you identify with a different character now. We have the unrepentant, the guy who's playing let's make a deal with God. When nobody's looking, he gives God a tip, hoping to be blessed. Sackcloth tucked conveniently, hidden under his royal gowns. Nobody knows that he's secretly trying to show God that he's repentant, but he's never really very public or very sincere about his repentance. Maybe, maybe there are some in our, in our modern day today who think they can play let's make a deal with God. And they can do it, they can do it halfway. They want God's blessing, but they don't really want to be obedient. They want God's hand upon them, but they don't want God's presence around them daily, living out their life. And so they'll do little token acts of repentance here or there. They'll put a tip in the box sometimes when they come to church. They'll show up for holidays maybe. They'll, they'll do the ceremonial things. Just enough maybe to, to buy them some credit on their account with God. Hoping that they'll tip the balance before their end date. So that God is impressed enough with them. Maybe you've, very honestly, maybe you identify with the guy playing, let's make a deal. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to barter with God. God speaks very clearly on what the deal is. There are none righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek God, no, not one. There are none who are perfect other than the Son of God. God Himself alone is perfect. The wages of our sin is death. There is no bartering. The only payment we could pay is our life. Maybe, maybe you're the guy who refuses to believe the report. If God could open the heavens, He can't do that. Have you seen what's going on in this life? Um, see also, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Ring a bell? Maybe, maybe that's been your story. Maybe you identify with the guy who says, you know, I really just can't buy into that, that whole God thing, that whole grace thing, that whole gospel thing, that whole died and was resurrected thing. I really just don't buy into it. I mean, that's fine if you want to use that as a religious crutch and it makes you feel better, but I just really just don't buy into it. Just like the royal aid in our story, judgment still comes. Judgment still comes. Maybe you are the leper at the gate. But maybe you're the leper at the gate who refuses to get up. Because you're still not really convinced of your doom. 
you're still not really convinced that you're going to die. You're still holding out hope that maybe they'll let you back in. You're still holding out hope that maybe somebody will come by and help you out. You're not willing to get up and step out on faith. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you're the leper who, who hasn't come to the end of yourself yet to where you realize, I've got no other hope but to go. Maybe you're the leper who, who has come to your own end. Maybe you realize you've got nothing left. Maybe you're the leper who says, I'm, I'm here and I don't know which, which way to go. I can't go this way. I can't go this way. The only way I can go is, is towards faith, towards God. And I, I've got a hope that He's going to move ahead of me. I've got a hope that He's going to be faithful ahead of me. If that's you, then, then I've got good news for you. The story of the gospel of the New Testament, the story of the power of the resurrection is that God has powerfully gone before you. God has gone out of the city gates himself previously. You remember the verse? Hebrews thirteen twelve. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And you're at a point where you're ready to step out on faith and there's good news for you. God has already made that trip. And what waits for you, what waits for you is not an enemy, is not a fight, is not a war. God has won that war. He has come into the strong man's house. He has bound the strong man, your adversary. He has beaten the enemy and he has whooped him and left him naked. And he's got no more power. And he has fleed. Your God has overcome sin and death. The grave does not hold him. And so the noise of that God, the great army of God, has gone before you in the cross and in the resurrection. There's good news for the leper who's ready to step out on faith. Maybe you're the leper who's already found out that God has defeated the enemy, plundered his house. Maybe you found the bounty of blessing already. Maybe you're already feasting on God's blessings, Sunday in and Sunday out. Bible study to Bible study, Christian book to Christian book, Christian movie to Christian movie, conference to conference, quiet time to quiet time. You're feasting on the bounty of Ephesians, but you never, you never take a moment to raise your head up and come to your own senses and say, you know what, something about this isn't right. Why? Because there's a, there's a whole nation of my kinsmen who are still stuck in the gates of a city that has been besieged by sin. And death is overcoming them. And they're dying and they're starving. And donkeys and dove dung is their, is their food. And here I am feasting on Romans and Ephesians. And one, one sermon after another. But I never found it in me to say, you know what? I've got, to, I've got to go and tell. I've got to say, come and see. God has gone before us. He's risen from the dead. And He's overcome the grave. The victory is won. The, the enemy has been defeated. But you're enjoying it. <laughs> and you're loving it. And to you, I would say, what you're doing is not right. And I don't say it, the Holy Scripture says it. 
What you're doing is not right. Maybe there's another one of you. Maybe you're the leper that has not only been blessed, not only found the bounty of God's glory and richness of grace, you're not only enjoying it, but you're sharing it. You're sharing it. But maybe you're the, you're the leper who's still finding that the world is full of folks living, living in famine. And you're trying your best to go and tell. And you're begging, come and see. But it really doesn't seem to be working very well. Maybe you realize that the final wedding feast is still yet to come and this world is still broken and busted. Maybe you're the leper who's found the treasure and you realized it wouldn't be right just to keep it to yourself and you've run back into the city and you're trying to, to spread the word as best you can. You're trying to tell them about the glory of God that has gone before them to make a way so that they can enter into rest and blessing. But maybe you're finding out that when you go back into the city, it's still donkey and dove poop. Maybe, maybe the way of this world for you who are doing the right thing, maybe that weight is very heavy. Half of marriages are failing. In our country, we have great confusion of what marriage is these days. Suicides at an all-time high. I've done just as many military funerals for suicide as I have for old guys. One out of every four sexually active high schoolers will graduate with an STD. Pornography is rampant. Morals are optional. Human trafficking is real. Our nation has wedded, it, wedded itself to Jezebel and its pagan religion. And that's just America. The world, the world is in turmoil. And maybe you're the leper who's found the good news, but you are willing to run back in. And maybe you're finding that um, it's still a mess out there. Maybe you're finding that you're still living with a big mess. And it's not easy. Listen to me now because I said all that so that I could say this. If there's any part of the message that I, I feel um, is prompted by the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the next part. The hope of Easter. I, I think in our church over the last decade or so, has been limited to the here and now. Let me explain what I mean by that. There is a great hope that Easter brings. New life, resurrection, freedom. God has gone before us. He's won the victory. There's great hope for our life here and now, as well there should be. The resurrection hope gives you hope for God's blessing God's feast right here, right now. God's power right here, right now. 
God's freeing you from the bondage of sin right here, right now. And we have, we have focused on that, and rightfully so. But, but I sense that we're missing something. I sense that we're missing that the, the power of Easter, the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just for the here and now. And maybe not even primarily for the here and now. There is a whole eternity that is still to come. Did you know that? There's a whole eternity that's still to come. Now this is particularly good news to that leper who's found the good news, who's run back into the city, and they're finding that it's a mess out there. They're finding that the city has been besieged. They're finding that there's starvation, there's famine, there's, there's barbarism, there's cannibalism. They're finding that, that stuff is breaking down. Families are falling apart. Lives are falling apart. People are broken. People are hurted. People are addicted. People are disgruntled. People are abandoned. People are at odds. We're at war. You're finding that this, this world, it's not a pleasant place. What I, want to, what I want to remind us of this morning is this. God's power is for the here and now. Yes. You know what? I hope that you're praying for some huge things in the very here and now. I hope you're praying for some great miracles. I'll tell you that I'm praying for some miracles. Here's what you need to remember, though that not all those answers may come in this, in this life. Do you know that? One day, God will fix everything. Resurrection is a promise not just for now, but for eternity. We've been short-sighted in the church, and I think the devil has taken advantage of us. He's scary good at his job. So much so that he succeeded in taking the truth that the resurrection power is for today, but then we've forgotten that our life here on earth is only a vapor. It's only a moment. It's only a blink of an eye compared to all of eternity. Now some of us need some perspective on our resurrection hope. And we need that perspective for our own good. It's not good for us to focus all our expectations on this life. Hear me out. God has promises that may not and some that cannot be fulfilled in this life. I'm going to say that again. God has some promises that may not and some that cannot be fulfilled in this life. Theologians refer to this as the already but not yet principle. All of God's promises to His children are already true and right. And you can depend upon them. But at the very same time, all of His promises, not all of His promises, have yet come to fruition. Not all of them have been completely fulfilled. And the very simple truth is this. Some of them may not be fulfilled until you reach eternity. Until God comes back and He calls this to an end. And he says, now it's time for eternity future to begin. And he calls all to judgment and he fixes all things. Until that time, some stuff just gets left 
undone. Are you all right with that? The, the sobering, but I, I pray it's an encouraging word for us today. For, for those of you who found God's glorious riches and been willing to stand up and do the right thing and run back into the city and, you, and you're putting yourself in the center of this mess that is our world today and the weight is heavy upon you, I hope that you realize that the resurrection power is not just for today because some of you would raise your hand and say, you know what, I don't feel it today, Pastor. My body's not working right. I'm fat. I'm, I'm tired. My family's falling apart. I lost my job. My wife is mad at me. My kids won't listen. It's not seeming like it's working out in this great powerful way right here and right now, Pastor. This morning, I, I want to remind you that the power of the resurrection, though it has implications for today, I would argue that, that we, we can't forget that this is, this is just a moment. There will be an eternity where all things will be made right. There will be a final resurrection. There will be, there will be a final banquet. Did you know that? The marriage supper of the Lamb. You'll sit down in that tent one day and you'll get to enjoy it in full. And you won't have to worry about the mess and the famine and the sin and the struggle anymore. No more tears, no more sorrow. It'll all be taken care of. Those are all promises we can count on and cry out for now. But do you know that they may not be just yet? And so as we celebrate the resurrection and the hope and the power of Easter, let's do it this year in a sobering way. Let's do it this year in a way that encourages our soul to be not short-sighted, but high-sighted. Longing for the day that our King will return. Maybe that's why Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What does it mean to live is Christ? I think what he meant is to live is uh, to, to be crucified. To live is to die. To live is to be sacrificed. To live is to suffer. There's pain. There's sorrow. There's hatred that will come against us. To live would be like Christ. To die would be gain. No wonder. Can we just be honest this Easter and say, I long for the day. Come, Lord, soon. Because I'm tired of my broken body. I'm tired, of, I'm tired of not having the fullness of the power of God. I'm tired of not having all the promises of God ready here in hand. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight. Does it feel light to you? It doesn't feel light to me. But in the writer's words, in comparison to eternity, it's momentary. It's light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Pray with me. One day, Lord, one day the final resurrection will come.
One day the final feast will come. One day the riches of heaven will be ours. We may be poor now, but we won't always be poor, Lord. We may be tired now, but we won't always be tired. One day, we may feel unsuccessful now, but we won't always be unsuccessful. You won't always be underappreciated. Lord, you won't, you won't have to deal with our fear any longer because we'll no longer be afraid. One day, there'll be no more addiction. There'll be no more depression. One day, our bodies will not be broken. One day, our hearts will not be weak. One day. Lord, this Easter, we celebrate not just the power that comes for our daily living. Certainly, your resurrection, the hope and the power that comes in your resurrection gives us light in our dark days. But we're going to be honest this Easter, Lord, and we're going to say that Back here, back here in the city walls of this, this city on earth, it gets pretty rough. And we long for a city on a hill. We long for the kingdom where the sun will never set. And darkness will never loom. Tears will never fall. At least not tears of sorrow. We long for the day when we will shed tears of great joy. For all our suffering will come to an end. One day, Lord, one day, our resurrection hope will be completely fulfilled. Today, Holy Spirit, encourage our hearts. May we be lifted out of this miry clay that we're in. Set our feet on firm ground. Give us strength where we are weak. Where our bodies are broken and feeble, Lord, hold us up. Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone, we pray. Amen. Stand with me. As we sing this last song, I want to invite you. For those of you lepers who are in Christ and you've trusted Him in His grace and mercy, we're going to share communion together during this last song. Don't stop singing. Don't stop singing. But let me ask you to get out of your seat. Let's enjoy communion. His body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. Do this in remembrance of me. Not only His death, but His resurrection. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And one day, He'll come back for the final go-round. And everything, everything will be made right. Let's celebrate together.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.